Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And we are talking today about mediums. Some might confuse them with psychics, but I'd say that mediums are a little bit different. Right, yeah. Mediums use their bodies and their brains as sort of a a vehicle, a conduit Mm -hmm. for spirit communication, whereas psychics are like using ESP and stuff, supposedly. Supposedly. And this might seem like quite an out-of-the-blue, left-field topic for us to pluck from the ether and talk about on the podcast, because we haven't talked about religion all that much on Stuff Mom Never Told You. But come to find out, talking about mediums in Victorian America and the related religion of spiritualism is so apt to all of our discussions about women and gender inequality uh, because come to find out there is a surprisingly strong connection between early feminism and suffrage movement and spiritualism. Right. Women definitely had a place in spiritualism that they weren't afforded in other more mainstream uh, Puritan-inspired religions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just to give you a little bit of background, spiritualism came about in 1848, although it is rooted back to other ancient religions. Uh, And we were jumping off from a book called Talking to the Other Side by Todd J. Leonard. Right. In 1848, two wily sisters, Katie and Maggie Fox, claimed to have made contact with an entity they called Mr. Splitfoot. Which, yeah, okay, I guess if we're making up names here. Um, They used this elaborate code of hand clapping that resulted in rappings to answer them as if these spirits in their house were were communicating with them. They went on tour. They became famous. People migrated to their home in New York to see them and and witness this crazy spiritual phenomenon. And P.T. Barnum even swooped in and brought them to New York City to, you know, make them part of his tour and make them famous. But then in 1888, the Fox sisters finally fessed up that they (laughs) had actually produced the noise for Mr. Splitfoot from cracking their toe joints. Gross. (laughs) And yeah, they both could do this because siblings are weird. Um, And yeah, so they're just lying to everybody. And they also used an apple that they tied to a string and bounced on the floor. And they were sort of playing off the history of the house that they lived in because the house was sort of known in the in the neighborhood for for having sort of weird bumps in the night, mm-hmm. and, and so they were sort of playing off of that. And, and then all of a sudden, it exploded. Yeah, into a freaking religion, basically. But yeah, so it didn't turn out so well for them because after they confessed, and I think there were three sisters total. Two mm-hmm. of them were in on the hoax. The older one, who she was like twenty years older, she became a medium in her own right. But uh, they all confessed. That it was a hoax. And then mm-hmm. some of them recanted, but they all ended up destitute alcoholics. Ah, ah, the downfall. I know. Um, and yeah, this is going on in the midst of uh, this spike in spiritualism, which is an American-made religion that's centered on a medium. And like you said, Caroline, it's a person who is sensitive to vibrations and energy. And a lot of times in uh, spiritualism terms, the energy from the other world great beyond is termed more feminine energy rather than masculine 
energy. So it makes sense even from the beginning that women would be become the the major conduits of this type of energy. And through them, spirits would deliver messages. I don't know what Mr. Splitfoot really had to say to the world. I don't either. I know that they asked him a bunch of questions, like how old he was mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And and I was telling Kristen this earlier, but the, the simple fact that he expressed like certain numbers by rapping, which was really them cracking their toes, which means over and over and over they again. had to crack their toes. Oh God, I can't even stand it when somebody cracks their knuckles twice. I mean, it <laughs> be so. careful. I could use a no. good knuckle crack, Caroline. Don't do it. Especially Get out with line. your toes. Get out of here. No, I can't do it with my toes. <laughs> so the growth of uh, spiritualism in the mid 1800s, sort of a demonstration against the puritanical belief system that had really come to uh, serve as the foundation for American mainstream religion at the time. Right. Yeah, the world is modernizing and people uh, were moving away from the really puritanical beliefs, you know, of of sin and hell Mm -hmm. and basically feeling guilty all the time got pretty exhausting. Yeah. So they were open to as as lifestyles changed, as, as the world was changing around them. People were tended to be in this time more open to other ideas, particularly mm-hmm. about religion. And I think it's interesting that around the same time that spiritualism developed, Mormonism and Christian science also came about. Yeah. Uh, Christian science actually emerged from former spiritualist Mary Baker Eddy, who had an epiphany after she experienced a miraculous healing that occurred after she read the Bible. And Mormonism becomes introduced in the 1830s, which offered Americans a link to Jesus. So after Mormonism really got rolling, um, the spiritualist movement took off. And it included some pretty radical ideas, some of which included ideas about equality of the sexes, a denial of vicarious atonement, and promoting a belief that the resurrection of Jesus was not necessarily in the physical sense, but in keeping with everything they believed about being a conduit for spirits, they believed that Jesus came back as an entity to communicate, a spiritual entity to communicate with those on earth. Mm -hmm. But spiritualism has so many other radical ideas surrounding it. Right. And one of the most radical uh, tenets of spiritualism is the fact that unlike Mormonism and Christian science, which were developing around the same time, that had strong central leaders, spiritualism was a lot more divided among these mediums. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you could go to seminary to become a medium. It was something that you were almost born to do, like you, you would be a chosen conduit for a spirit. And uh, at the time, as these female mediums, like the Fox sisters, although that was more of a, a hoax, um, and we'll talk about some uh, more authentic mediums in a little bit. Um, but at the time, uh, these spiritualist mediums who were women were incredibly radical for even being in a public forum, right? Even talking about religion or anything. Yeah. And what's interesting is um, after they became more popular and it sort of started to sweep the nation, um, it really became something that you could make a lot of money off of. If mm-hmm. you could actually, whether or not you were really a medium, if you could produce phenomena, um, you could make a lot of money. And with that came a lot of pressure from the public to really perform 
And so as everybody was saying, more, more, they ended up, a lot of them used trickery. Even if they maybe had some real skills, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them resorted to trickery to um, create more exciting things. So through this, you know, we talked about how um, uh, mediums were not as organized as maybe Mormons and Christian scientists were. They began to develop associations, um, providing lectures and classes, and mediums ended up having to prove their abilities through tests and demonstrations. But these association, excuse me, associations were largely made up of women. And so that gave women of the day who, who didn't really have a voice and in, in the public arena a chance to get together. And mm-hmm. so when a bunch of repressed people are getting together and talking, it can turn into something else. And so a lot of them were involved in the suffrage movement and a lot of suffragists looked at spiritualism as sort of a, I guess, an outlet, mm-hmm. a way to communicate with other women and, and try to really make strides. Because we have to remember that while um, all this is happening, we also have the abolition movement and the temperance movement, which women were very much involved in, but yet they were by and large prohibited from speaking in those public forums, which is a large reason why the suffrage movement really took off because they were fed up with not being able to um, to speak in front of these other groups that they were uh, contributing to. And spiritualism uh, and mediumship becomes this new pulpit, in a way, for women. And the thing is, okay, so this is going on during the Victorian era. And we've talked a lot before about this, uh, the whole cult of womanhood where women's place obviously very much in the home and women are considered to have these weak constitutions. They were scared to put women on bicycles because <laughs> we might, our bones just might shatter, just shatter and <laughs> fall to pieces. But the funny thing about spiritualism is that it considered women's weak bodies the prime vessels for contacting spirits. Yeah. What's we, funny, because we kind of talked about that topic, not not exactly in the same way, obviously, but we kind of talked about sh- women being shells in our romance novel podcast, uh-huh. like the characters being sort of, not not empty, I, don't get defensive, listeners, but, you know, um, so that you could sort of put yourself in her shoes. Well, mm-hmm. in the kind of a similar way, mediums, uh, were conduits. And so women who were supposedly so weak willed mm-hmm. and everything, you know, since we're so vapid and empty, yeah, just put spirits in us. We'll, right. we'll tell you what they're saying. Right. And that was the thing. They weren't, um, these female mediums weren't contradicting that, uh, or speaking out against this whole notion of, uh, women as the weaker sex at all. They're like, yeah, no, bring <laughs> it on. Yeah. I'm completely weak. And at the time, the very fact that female mediums would be able to speak or a spirit to speak through them in front of other people. The very fact that that could happen was proof in contemporary eyes of its authenticity mm-hmm. because how else could a frail woman manage to stand in front of people and talk? She certainly wouldn't come up with those ideas by herself. It had to be someone like Mr. Splitfoot. Exactly. <laughs> or yes. other spirits. Exactly. And Anne Browd says that spiritualism was the first sustained moment of public participation by women. It was one of the few career opportunities open to women in the 1800s. So even if they were still considered, you know, weak and nonsensical and whatnot, here they were being 
the deliverers basically of a message of a religion. Um, And she also writes that although a few abolitionist women preceded them, trance speakers outnumbered reform women lecturers by the end of the 1850s. Hmm. So even though spiritualism and mediumship uh, isn't something that we really think about in terms of America's religious history and certainly not in its social history, it actually is playing a surprisingly significant role mm-hmm. in simply getting women out in the public and getting people used to seeing women speaking in public. Right. Spiritualists supported, I mean, talking about in the social arena, they supported socialism, labor reform, health reform. They were really out there and um, it attracted a lot of women's rights leaders who were drawn to a religion it reinforced the self-ownership of women. Mm-hmm. So men are not speaking for them. They are speaking, well, they're speaking for spirits. Right. <laughs> so, and, and frequently female spirits. Uh, and Victoria Woodhull, for instance, uh, we did the podcast on her a while ago. Uh, she was the first person, the first female, I should say, to run for president in the United States. And she was quite a colorful character and also in the spiritualist movement. I believe she was also a... a a medium who was very much for for free love. Hmm. Well, talking about, you know, not, not to totally make it sound like I believe that women are empty, vapid vessels, but but continuing with that theme, Pearl Curran is a housewife and she channeled the spirit of Patience Worth, who through Pearl claimed to be a 17th century woman who came to America from England and had been killed in an Indian raid. And Pearl was really considered... She was, you know, real skinny and she was a housewife and she didn't have any kids and mm-hmm. she was, she just kind of putzed around the house all day. So people didn't think much of her. They didn't assume that she was very smart or that she had much going on in her life. And so they just thought, well, there is no way she's making all of this up herself yeah. because what she would do is, um, as the voice of Patience Worth, this 17th century woman, she would read or recite all of this poetry, literature, mm-hmm amazing history. She would speak uh, in language patterns that were from the time. And she was able to describe, you know, the geography of uh, early America and England where Patience was supposedly from. And so all these people are like, oh, there's no way she wouldn't know this. And, and even if she read books before her her seances and readings and whatever, there's no way she could remember it. And this all happened because Pearl and um, a lady friend of hers were hanging out one day playing with the old Ouija board. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're getting these messages. And so, of course, they got to keep fooling around with the, the Ouija board and get these, uh, get the spirit really talking. And, um, and yeah, and it starts out where it's the Ouija board guiding her hand with the, you know, spelling everything out. But then she becomes so accustomed to everything that, yeah, she's just reciting all this poetry. And between 1913 and 1937, Patience Worth, the spirit, supposedly through Pearl Curran, produced nearly four million words. And she became a pretty celebrated poet and writer yeah, at the a, time. A, a ghost became a celebrated yeah. poet and writer. Yeah. Pe- e- people are weird back then. Even, um, even lead literary figures at the time, praise Patience Worth's right. works. And so much of that was people who would come to witness Pearl's readings of Patience's work. They were like, well, there's just no way. I mean, yeah. that, that goes back to them just not believing that this could happen. And it was a little unbelievable just because the way she would recite all this stuff, 
you know, there's no way that any normal person could remember all of that mm-hmm. and recite it from memory unless they had been studying it for years and years. And so what's really interesting is that during, during her lifetime, nobody really could prove that Pearl was a fraud or whether she was genuine and really channeling the spirit. But more recently, neurobiologist James McGaw determined through an MRI that parts of Pearl's brain were larger than normal and refers to her condition as super autobiographical memory. And and I've heard of this in the news and stuff, mm-hmm. like people who just remember every single moment of every day of their lives. And um, yeah, it's, it's possible that she had that, that she just read so much over her lifetime and retained every single bit of it because the name Patience Worth was actually in a romance novel from the time period. Right. It's a really popular romance novel. It's mm-hmm. very true. All of this uh, synchronicity between the romance <laughs> novel podcast and the medium podcast. Um, and uh, the sad thing is, though, I feel like a lot of these popular mediums of the time meet sort of sad ends. So Pearl writes all of this poetry, and she even writes a novel at some point, I think under her own name. But when um, when she's writing all this stuff from Patience, the spirit, it's another guy who ends up publishing all of the books. So she doesn't, even though she published like seven books or something, she and her husband never really made much money. And then her first husband dies, and then she has two children, and all of a sudden she's like, what do I do? Yeah. And she ends up uh, getting married again, and I think moving to Los Angeles where she ended up um, still doing seances and readings uh, for celebrities at the time, including like Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Yeah. But just kind of a, you know, but by that point, well, that, that, by that point it was sort of on the downslope. Oh yeah. So, you know, here's this poor woman in her, I guess she's in her forties and fifties by this point, traveling, doing seances, you know, still just not making any money. And she ended up dying, I think at 57. And it just kind of became a, more of a sideshow. Right. Attraction. Yeah. People just weren't taking it as seriously anymore. It was, it was the twenties. Other things were going on. Yeah. Things were really starting to pop. Yeah. Um, but just for a couple more notable mediums, we have Eusapia Palladino, who was an Italian spiritualist, uh, who supposedly was able to levitate, elongate herself, um, produce spiritual materializations and of course, channel spirits. And it was all junk. She was, re- I know, I'm sorry. She was really good at faking. And, you know, even when they had her strapped to a chair or like had her feet held down to the floor, she would still manage to slip one foot out of a shoe and sort of lift the table with a knee, which I'm like, come on. Like, what were those, do- were those doctors just <laughs> intoxicated? They had to be. I think there's, I think there is something to be said for people who want to believe something. Yeah. And one of those people is Oliver Lodge, who, if you've ever read the book Thunderstruck, it's really good. I recommend it. And it's not about mediums or the paranormal or anything. It's actually about Marconi and wireless technology <laughs> and a murderer. This other guy, it's a parallel story. Anyway, um, Oliver Lodge is a, is a really, uh, famous physicist, but he also took, put a lot of stock in the paranormal and in mm. mediums. And he was fascinated by it to the point where he sometimes would put his own research aside to go check out whatever paranormal stuff is going on. And so he loved, I mean, not love, you know, <laughs> he really respected Eusapia Palladino um, and really believed that she was the real deal. And unfortunately, for her, she was deemed a fraud by conjurer William Marriott, who sort of made a career out of debunking yeah, stuff like this. Real parade rainer <laughs> on her. Uh, yeah, but she was deemed genuine by the American Society of Psychical Research. Indeed. There were a lot of similar 
kind of societies that had come up at the time. Because at the time, this kind of paranormal spiritualism was considered a potentially valid science. Yeah. Because this is also the time when we have uh, Franz Anton Mesmer, who gave us mesmerism, which evolved into hypnotism coming up at the time. And then Emanuel Swedenborg. Swedenborg. Swedenborgism. And he was a Swedish scientist who experienced visions. Yeah, he had a vision of a fire that happened. It was happening 300 miles away. And my skeptical brain, I'm like, well, he probably told somebody to set it. I, I mean, I thought you were going to say he probably smelled some smoke. <laughs> no, I mean, it was 300 yeah, miles smoke, away. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, maybe he had visions. Good for you. Swedenborg. Swedenborg. Uh, and then there's Leonora Piper, who would go into trances during which spirit rulers would take over and speak through her. And is this the person you said you kind of you kind of on board with? Well, I don't know. I mean, she's dead. I would have to like <laughs> she did see her. I'd have to sit with her. But she did. She sat with dozens upon dozens and dozens of witnesses who all you know they they did all these tests. It started out where she was just freaking out some scientific people. Um, but then they had her sit with complete strangers mm-hmm. and she was able to go into a trance and, and tell, tell them things about themselves that they had not told her. And the researchers who were sort of checking into her abilities, they had her followed to make sure she wasn't like stalking the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the research subjects, the, the people who were testing her out, uh, and things like that. It, basically that she was not using any, um, underhanded methods. So she very well might have been able to. Uh, use ESP. Yeah. Well, she, um, Professor William James, uh, was a total pragmatist and he, he believed she was the real thing. And of course, there's Oliver Lodge who had, of course, he has to get in on this too. Yeah. And so Oliver Lodge is totally believing that she's the real thing. I like how Oliver Lodge, this, this well-known physicist and he just is pops a medium groupie. Yeah. He is. I know. Well, you know, some people just want to have that connection with the, uh, with dead relatives and whatnot and, and have that, affirmation that there is life after death. And Oliver Lodge was one of those people. Hey, but we've got one more sad afternote for Leonora Piper. We do. She actually, it seemed like every time she came to America, she lost a little bit of her sparkle. Where was she from? I think she's from England. Okay. And, um, she, she would come to America, you know, to, to be tested and researched and everything. But people became so suspicious of her that when she went into a trance, they would do all sorts of, experiments on her and like poking and prodding to Mm -hmm. make sure she was really in a trance. And so, you know, she would wake up and her daughter ended up writing much later that, you know, she came out of one trance and had a swollen tongue that would, that took, you know, days to heal. And so she started to lose her quote unquote powers because she was her subconscious. She was so afraid to go into a trance because something might happen to her that she was sort of unable to slip into that trance. And people thought, you know, maybe she has ESP, maybe she has multiple personalities, and her other personality is Mm -hmm. psychic. So nobody, I don't know. There's no telling. Wow. It is not an easy life out there for for mediums. Because mediums do still exist Mm -hmm. today, although a lot of them, and I want to say this is going back to the Todd J. Leonard book, Talking to the Other Side. He actually went out and talked with, spiritualists and mediums who exist today. And even still, there's that um, uh, gender gap where most of the mediums practicing are older now women. It's a graying religion, obviously mm-hmm. not kind of had that, that spike in the 1850s and early 1900s, and then really started to wane. And maybe by that point, 
uh, women had found more of their voice in public and, mm-hmm. uh, it moved away from more of the, those radical fringe, fringes. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm not, I'm absolutely not criticizing here, but I do think it's interesting that, um, these quote unquote American religions, mm-hmm. two of them are still going strong. Mormonism yeah. and Christian science, where spiritualism just basically totally fell by the wayside. But I wonder though, if it's because it was so, divided up and scattered mm-hmm. among all of these different personalities rather than having a central right, a leader central figure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, but fascinating connection between feminism, very early, early feminism and spiritualism and one that I was certainly not aware of Yeah, me neither. before this. So if any of you have any insight on mediumship, send us an email. Are you a medium? Have <sighs> you used a medium? Have you ever hung out with ghosts? Do you live in a haunted house? Can you crack your toe joints? <laughs> Repeatedly. <laughs> I want to know it all. Everything. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is the email address. And here I have one from Natalie. She says, I was interested in your Going Gray podcast because my husband is mostly gray at age 29, and it started in his early 20s. We are both actors, and he was told by his agent that if he was to be successful, he should dye his hair to a more age-appropriate shade. It was shocking and kind of funny to me that even men get a hard time socially about going gray, especially prematurely. There are others in our business who consider it a unique asset. Meanwhile, at age 30, I've covered up my sporadic grays a few times in the last couple of years, and I'm growing tired of keeping it up. My husband claims to really like my gray and white hairs, but I suspect he's either being nice or just wants company. As a woman, I do feel like gray hairs can hurt my work a lot more than his. Thanks, Natalie. Well, I've got an email here from Kirsten, and this is in response to her episode about women on television. And she writes, your women on TV podcast really got me thinking about how there's no one representing me in television. It seems that TV likes to show the extremes of gender roles and or stereotypes, but it leaves many segments of the population, men and women, altogether unrepresented. For example, I'm 27, a single woman, working on a cultural studies PhD at a Big Ten university. I am also a black American with roots in the Caribbean, and I grew up in a rural, small town part of the Pacific Northwest in a homogenous community. I'm pretty religious and somewhat conservative in my lifestyle, and I think it surprises people how open-minded and accepting I am and even the political social issues that I feel are important. I'm bookish, crafty, and all-around average. It's hard for me to watch TV, reality, or scripted and see women who are at all representative of my background or lifestyle, and maybe that's because my life is quite boring by most people's standards. But that's a good point to bring up, though, that um, you know there are so many different perspectives and people out there. Uh, that maybe maybe I shouldn't harp on Zoe Deschanel so much just because of her funny voice. She does have cute dresses. So many cute dresses. All right. On that note, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is the email address. Don't forget to find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And then finally, check out our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You from howstuffworks.com. <laughs> Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?